Hello, hello. Good morning. Good morning, church. I'll invite you to turn to the book of... Actually, I think we're going to start in Genesis. We'll get to Proverbs eventually. Uh, I want to add one thing to um, this business about uh, next week. Um, yes, we are going to do a fun food and fellowship, triple F, potluck. Um, I think, I was thinking of maybe doing something on the grill next week, if, but of course I preach the sermon, so like if any of you are like, I would grill some things, like come and see me next week if you want, you get to leave church a little early and, and fire up a grill and you know, all that, so that might be fun. Um, but uh, yeah, bring something to share, it'll be a good time, but actually uh, a little bit extra for that is, um, so we're starting a new series today called Full Engagement, and basically it's the marks of what it means for the church to be the church. You know, the things of that were, um, like, what does it look like to be the church? And uh, so this week, we're going to talk about one of those elements. And next week, we're going to talk about service. Um, and we thought that would kind of be a good opportunity to, um, to, to pray for kind of community involvement, um, people who are involved in things in the community. And so if, if you're a part of, let's say, like a scout group, or a soccer team, or some kind of sports team, or a theater group, or some sort of community-involved thing, some entity, next week would actually be an ideal, perfect, made-for-that-occasion kind of time to invite friends to church. And of course, afterwards, we get to have lunch together, so it'll be a good time. Um, So again, uh, good morning and welcome to New Hope Community Church. Welcome to February. It is Groundhog's Day. We sung some Groundhog carols. Uh, it's also Super Bowl Sunday. And, you know, I tell you, uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing that the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl rather than uh, the Patriots because, you know, it would keep me from making all kinds of corny jokes about how, how the Patriots are in it again and again and again because it's Groundhog Day. You'll get that later. It's, uh, it's going to be like 50 degrees today, I think, I hope. And we're starting a new preaching series. So if you're new or if this is your first time, you picked a great Sunday to be here. Uh, The series that we're beginning, it's called Full Engagement. No, it's not a premarital seminar or a reference to Jean-Luc Picard, although that will happen occasionally. Uh, It's a series on the church. Specifically, it's a series on how we do church. If you're going to use the word church... As a verb, what does churching look like? I think that many would think about what we do, um, and they might think of like men in robes or choirs or pews or Bibles. What does it mean to be like to to do church? Um, Or even in, in kind of our lower church experience, we might think of things like praise music or Bible study or pastors or preaching. The the truth is though. That the reason why like any of this happens is not necessarily to do church. The, the reason why we hold church services is to worship God, and as the Apostle Paul put it, to equip the saints, that's you all, for the work of the ministry. My job actually isn't to do ministry as much as it's to equip you all for leaving here and going to do the ministry. According to that logic, you didn't come to church this morning, you brought the church with you. The word church, it it comes from the Greek word ekklesia, 
which actually means assembly or gathering. It doesn't mean religion, and it certainly doesn't mean buildings. When Jesus called his church into being, he was initiating a growing kingdom movement, one that would proclaim his good news to a world that was broken. For the past five months, we've been thinking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we said is teaching that shows us Jesus' new way of being human, a way that is defined by love and mercy and obedience and justice. The problem is that the historic church over the past 2,000 years, we haven't always lived up to that call. There have been times when we've opted instead for things like control or rules over things like love and mercy. But like any organization, we seek to improve. We seek to sharpen our edges, as it were, and do the work to help each other see that the foundation of all of this is a relationship with Jesus. The reason why we do any of the things that we do is because we believe that God loves this world even more than we do. And we trust that since he designed this world, he knows how we should engage with it. So there you have it. Engage. The question then before us in this series is what does it mean to be fully engaged in the local church? What does it mean to be fully engaged at New Hope Community Church? Last spring, last spring, a few of us went to a conference at North Point Community Church in Atlanta. There were lots of things I took away from that conference, um, but the session that really stuck with me was one called Engagement Versus Attendance. I'll give it to you kind of in a nutshell. Basically, when most organizations attempt to measure success, they're they're going to measure things, they're going to try to measure the things that are most easily seen. So in this light, a church might like to measure things like Sunday attendance or money in the bank account or membership roles. The problem with all three of those things is that they don't really measure, uh, they don't really help us measure our effectiveness as the church. They don't truly help us to see if what we're doing is making a difference in the lives of men and women. If what we're about is life change, then perhaps we need to redefine our metrics of success. Believe me, I greatly desire for every seat in this sanctuary to be full on Sunday mornings. I am so extraordinarily grateful that this church believes in our mission enough to help keep us on budget. And I want to think, I want people to think of New Hope as their family. I want you to feel like you belong here. But the truth is that, that I, as a pastor, could get so bogged down in numbers that I forget that what we're really about, that what my job is really about, is loving God and loving people. The, the seminar told us of a time when North Point took a serious look at the concept of church membership. And as they did so, they, they realized that there were kind of two things that stuck out to them. First, they realized that they had members who weren't really involved. And second, they realized that they had a whole lot of people 
who were involved who weren't members. So on one hand, they had men and women who were on the books, and maybe they were even giving financially and coming to service every now and then, but they weren't really involved in the life of the church. And on the other hand, they noticed that that they were attracting a large number of people from the community. They were attracting people from in, in great numbers who were coming to church and uh, to service regularly, and they were even serving on various teams, and maybe they were even giving generously because they believed in the mission of the church, but they never really wanted to get on the official books of church membership. So they began to wonder if, well, maybe membership language wasn't really all that necessary, and sometime later, after prayer and discernment, they actually ended up abandoning the term. You see, North Point didn't just want to have a large membership roster They wanted life change in their community. And so as I sat in this seminar, I was inspired to want the same thing for New Hope. What I want for us is life change. I want to see marriages thriving. I want to see uh, parents supported and equipped with resources. I want to see students given an outlet for growth and the opportunity to wrestle with the things of faith. I want to see seniors discovering purpose here. I want to see men and women discovering their gifting and then using that gifting for kingdom agenda. I want to see worship and discipleship and service to our community. Unfortunately, there are churches who are so focused on the books that they forget to pay attention to the things that really matter. And of course, this isn't about taking the speck out of their eye. It's about getting the log out of ours, right? So over the next four weeks, I want us to consider each of these points of engagement. It's not just North Point's philosophy, or or even New Hope's for that matter. It's actually God's philosophy. For these four things, I believe, are four things that God desires from us and also for us. So without further ado, I should have done a slide on this, I apologize. But without further ado, here they are. The four things that we'll talk about during this series. Number one is connect to a group. You can't grow spiritually without being connected relationally. Number two is serve on a team. Joining a team to leverage your gifts and be a part of our mission. Number three is practice generosity. Generosity. Give intentionally and support the church that you love And number four, invest and invite. Invest in and invite others to come and experience what you have. That's it. Those are kind of the four things. And I remember one of the things that I was thinking of as I sat in the seminar was like, well, you didn't ask people to worship. Where's worshiping God in that? And then I asked the question. I felt silly right after I asked it because the response was, it's all worship. It's all worship, every bit of that. You can't connect to a group, serve on a team, practice generosity, and invest and invite with others unless you're worshiping God. Because God said that it's a two-sided coin. Jesus said it's all about loving God and loving other people. And you can't really love other people unless you're loving God. And you can't really love God unless you're loving other people. What I love about each of these points is that each of them are saturated with worship, discipleship, and mission. I'll be honest that as a pastor, I have, I have good days and bad days, just like all of you in any job. But also, just like all of you, I have kind of like good moments and bad moments. 
I have times when I am just so thankful that I get the privilege to do this job. So one of my favorite days, obviously when God shows himself in new and fresh ways and in the life of someone, I'm just overwhelmed with joy. New babies, you know, are often the, the best kind of days when, when I get to go to the hospital, often with Amy, and we get, to, we get to pray with this family over a new child. That is just, oh, that's just the best. But I tell you, even that might not win out over another thing's that just makes me tear up sometimes. It's the moment that is like the first time I hear a person talk about new hope and use the pronoun we. That wrecks me. Yes, lots of people might say you, and I don't take it personally. It makes sense that when you see church being done up front by people like Trent and Jen and myself, that, that discuss, just discussions, both positive and negative, would, would include the pronoun you. You know, what do you guys believe about X, Y, Z? You know, when are you going to have an outreach event? Why do you say the Nicene Creed before communion? How are you involved in the wider community of Catonsville? I am happy to answer those questions because they afford me the opportunity to talk about the church, this thing that I've given my life to. But then there are other times when a person will come up to me and start talking about our church, and for the first time, at least in my hearing, they will use the word we or our, and it just melts my heart. I loved our worship time this morning. We have a potluck lunch after service next week. Join us. Or, or, Or even if it's like a challenging thing, right? Joe, I'd love to talk about how we could be doing more to serve the poor. And it's just like, even if that might convict me and challenge me about the ways that we're doing that, it's just like, I would love to talk with you about how we could be doing more to serve the poor. Turn with me back to the book of Genesis, back to the story of creation, back before sin and corruption and rebellion entered the picture. God created this beautiful, dynamic world. And he repeatedly calls his creation as he's creating it. He calls it good, right? And then we finally get to chapter 2, verse 18. And we get to hear God finally refer to something as not good. He's not identifying sin. Sin hadn't happened yet. He is referencing a holy truth that is flowing from his holy character. Genesis 2, verse 18, reads, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, in previous weeks, um, we've talked before about how the word helper there 
is actually most often used in the Old Testament to describe the work of God. It's most often used to describe God's help to his people. So the idea that this helper would be an inferior just isn't in the text. More accurately, a helper fit for him would mean that man shouldn't be alone. That there should be another person to complement him. Tons we could say about that in regards to Christian marriage. But for the purposes of this sermon, that passage has just as much to say about how we do community. It's not good for us to be alone. Isn't it interesting that we, in our individualistic Western minds, we might want to correct God, right? And we might want to say, well, he wasn't alone. He had God. The text, this text is saying, yes, with God, you are never alone. But I created you for relationship. Remember, God created us for relationship because he himself exists in relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As creations created in his image, it would only make sense that if we would emulate, that we would emulate him by living in relationship with each other. I think that sometimes we treat community as if it's like the consequence of the fall. I think that sometimes we treat the community that way. Like the, the world is such an ugly place and I don't want to walk alone. That may be true. But the importance of community actually existed long before the fall. Regarding sin, it's important for us to see that community is essential to our growth and obedience to him. Turn to Proverbs chapter 27. And here you'll see a commonly quoted passage that contains a principle that we so easily forget. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Iron. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. I have uh, struggled for years prioritizing physical fitness. The truth is that uh, I honestly do enjoy going to the gym, especially uh, weight training, but I've just never been able to establish that rhythm and prioritize it. I've had time after time after time after time of like getting excited about going to the gym and getting the tour and then you kind of get welcomed into their club and then I do it for a day or maybe two or maybe seven, a couple of weeks, whatever it is, but always inevitably I give up. Until recently. Recently has been different. And I can proudly say that I have been consistently going to the gym at least three times a week since October. The difference, the game changer, has been that this time I didn't go alone. I found a group of other guys who have similar schedules and thankfully similar fitness goals and that makes sense for us to go to the gym together. And I found that it made all the difference in the world when I'm lying there in the wee small hours of the morning thinking about the fact that i got to get out of bed. It makes all the difference in the world to know that Dan is expecting me 
and rooting for me to show up and I'm expecting him and rooting for him to show up. And, and perhaps more importantly, it makes all the difference in the world to know that, that he'll benefit from my showing up um, and that I'm going to get the same thing. And it, it turns out gym class was actually the way to go all along. Go figure. In the same way, the truth is that we said earlier you can't grow spiritually without being connected relationally. If, if you've ever fallen for the lie that Christianity is a solo sport, you have cheated yourself out of the greatest gift that God has ever given us, the gift of love. That might sound cheesy, but I'm very serious. Love isn't just an emotion. Love is a way of life. When we love our neighbors as ourselves and treat other people the way that we would want to be treated, we are imitating the love that God has shown um, us. And we are imitating the love that, that exists within his triune community and practicing the love that he shows for us. A love that sacrifices and bears the burdens of others. In Philippians 2, Paul says this, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any, in, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any participation in the work of the Holy Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if you have any of that, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count other people. Get this. This is revolutionary. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, on your knees, count other people more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only in his, for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In Galatians 6, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The idea that, that, that Paul would be doing, that, that he would tie bearing one another's burdens with fulfillment of the law of Christ is huge. It's like that's in one little sentence how Paul summed up the Sermon on the Mount. Evidently, bearing the burden of another human being is precisely how we go about obeying the law. On, on the first Saturday of every month, the, the women of New Hope, they gather for prayer. And this habit goes back for, for, um, to a time during um, uh, playgroups uh, and things like that since the beginning of our church. And, and also for, for previous years' women's retreats. Where after the sessions of this retreat that they would go away to, the, the ladies, they would all get together and they would gather in large rooms and just spend hours praying for each other. A Amy always talked about how that for her, that was the best part of the retreat. All the other parts of the retreat were, ah, that was okay. But the time that she got to, to sit with these other women that she just respected so much, these incredible women, and, and just confess to one another and pray for one another was just, it took the cake. I'm sure any and all the ladies that have been on those trips would say how powerful that time was where they could just be vulnerable with each other, where they could be real with each other, sharing their joy, sharing their fears, 
sharing their hopes in a safe environment with other women who are going through life together. For men, those kinds of gatherings, they, they kind of often happen in, in different kind of ways. Sometimes they happen at the gym. But, but they're no less important. I think that any Christian needs to be intentional about um, what we might call faith catalysts. These are habits or moments or resources that spark you into the next step of your faith. Over the years, I think that one of the most common faith catalysts that I've heard specifically from men describe is when they made it a regular habit to meet with another person, with another man, over coffee once a month or so. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe, maybe it's a beer after work. Just a situation where two or more guys can be honest with each other and show each other that they actually care that the other one showed up. This is one of the hardest habits to get into, especially for guys, but it just means so much. Of course, at New Hope, our primary avenue for community fellowship is and, and discipleship is through these things that we call house churches. A house church, um, or at least a traditional house church we might call, is a group of people, usually under 12, who gather together weekly for prayer, study, and fellowship. In short, it's a community of people who do life together. I'm in right now what could be described as a traditional house church that has been meeting for about a year and a half. And, and I just kind of give testimony to how much it has meant to my life, how much it has meant to the life of my family that we prioritize the time to go there every week and, and, and meet with these just the best people in the world are in that room. I just love them so much. Um, but this actually wasn't my first house church. Um, my first house church, um, it was a funny situation. Uh, I, I'd been hearing sermons like this uh, during my, uh, my high school and uh, years when I was attending Grace Fellowship. So when I, I I'd attended kind of small group, you know, um, house church functions, uh, uh, what we call D-teams during our, our youth ministry at, at, um, in, in, youth, in youth group. But um, I'd never been a part of a house church. So when I graduated high school, I said, okay, I guess it's time. That, that's what you do, right? I'm... I've graduated uh, uh, high school, and uh, it's, it's time for me to put down childish things, and I'm, I'm going to join a house church. I'm going to be a real house church. And I happened at the time to have been involved. Uh, Grace had a, a choir um, that I joined because I was uh, into music, and I was into the, the, the chamber choir at the time in my school. And so when I graduated, I wanted an outlet for, for vocal music, so I, I joined this, um, this choir where I met Bruce. And um, I started asking around, hey, is anybody in a house church? I know you guys, you know, Grace does these house churches. I'd like to be involved. And, and this one guy, this guy, Frank Williams, he's an awesome guy, still at Grace. And he said, yeah, I have, a, I have a house church, and we'd love to have you there. And so I go, and it's, it was a really interesting situation, really interesting dynamic. Everybody who was in the group were, were mostly single, divorced um, men in their 60s and 70s. And so I'm this 18-year-old kid, and I go to this group, and I got to say, it was fantastic. I loved every minute of it. I loved the idea that I could, I mean, you know, you can imagine that, you know, a group like that of, of, of mostly, you know, single guys, they, they have some wisdom to share. And 
you know, it meant a lot to my character as, as an 18-year-old kid to, to prioritize that and to, and to go walk through study with them. It, it meant the world to me that these men would allow me to show up because it could have been easy. It could have been easy for them to have said, you know what, you know, we don't really want an 18-year-old kid in this room. You know, we're, we're, st- we're struggling through some real, you know, heavy stuff, you know, as, 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 as men in their 60s and 70s, you know, their, their health problems and, you know, of course, you know, most of them ha- had been divorced and, and they were wrestling with some really heavy things. It could have been easy for them to say, Joe, this probably isn't the route for you. But they took a completely different attitude. They took the attitude of, yeah, because we're broken, because we need love, we are expecting you to need the same thing, and so let's share some wisdom with you. And it, it was actually an incredible time. And I've been in several other house churches throughout the years that have just um, meant just as much. That being said, um, uh, being intentional, uh, house church is all about kind of being intentional, about giving, getting into each other's business. But, um, and house churches are not the place for kind of like superficial conversation. They are a place where real work gets done. They're a place where true friends ask each other um, about each other's lives and actually want to hear what they have to say. It's a, it's a place where, where true empathy can happen, especially after you've done the work to earn the trust of the others. That being said, though, a traditional house church is open um, to new folks joining the group. The hope is that over time, the group will grow, and they're gonna, if it's going to grow, it's going to grow so large that it makes sense for one group to become two groups or maybe three or whatever. And this not only creates an opportunity for more intimate settings as the group gets, you know, continues to remain small, uh, it also allows for others to step up and become you know, Bible study leaders or hosts to open up their homes. Um, the truth is, though, it, it rarely works out that neatly. Most of the time, house churches reflect the needs of the individual group members, and that often means that traditional descriptions are out the window. Sometimes groups need to be closed for a while, meaning that there's a season or a reason why they wouldn't invite others to be a part of it. Um, sometimes this is necessary if the group is like working through particularly difficult content, something that's especially vulnerable or sensitive. Other times, it's just not possible that a group could work it out to meet at the same time every week. That's okay. The reality is that we live in a world of schedules and soccer practices and scout meetings, etc. So there have been other groups that have been created around specific needs. Maybe a group only meets once a month, or, or maybe they, they always meet over dinner. Or, or maybe it's a group that you've kind of fashioned at work. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a few families make it a tradition every year to vacation with each other because they know that, that just being around each other, even if it's once a year, it just fills their spiritual batteries and it's something they look forward to. I don't know exactly what it looks like for each and every one of you, but I do know this. I know that you will not grow spiritually unless you are create, uh, connected relationally. It's just a fundamental principle of a Christ-following life. It's why we do communion the way that we do. Then we set this table and 
we talk about the, the broken body and the, and the blood poured out, and then we as a community, we gather around this Eucharist, we gather around this communion table, and we do it together because we are not called to walk this road alone. So the challenge for each of us this morning is to think about what it is for you. I, I wonder if you could think, if I ask you, you don't have to say it out loud. Maybe you write it down on the, on the bulletin. Name the person in your life that you trust more than anyone else. Or maybe just one person that you haven't mentioned recently, you know, you haven't really thought of. But when I say, who is an example of someone that you trust implicitly? And their name comes to mind, write that name down. Keep it in your pocket or something. Carry it around with you this week, and, and maybe God will be, give you an opportunity to connect with that person and just say, hey, you know what? I, I've gotten away from the concept of fellowship. I've gotten away from, from community. Could, could we just get a, a cup of coffee? Could, could we just get together after work sometime and, and talk through some things? I, I just need to feel connected with another human being. I know that's difficult, but what I'm saying is that it's worth it. Maybe for you, you, you look at those, those groups on the back uh, of your bulletin, our house churches, and, and maybe you just circle one that you want to go to just one time. Just one time. You're not committing to, to, to going every week, but you're just saying, listen, I, 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 I need to make a priority of, of connecting to other people, so, so maybe I'll just try this out just one time and see what it's like and see the kind of hospitality that you're going to embrace and, and, and see, and, and, and maybe that's something that'll lead to something. I don't know. What I know is that you can't grow spiritually without being connected relationally. Let's pray. Father, I am humbled. I am challenged. I am convicted. I am so incredibly thankful for the men and women that are in this room. So thankful that we have each other, that we are a community, that we are a fellowship, that we are a family called to do life alongside one another, be vulnerable with one another, share our fears with one another. Father, give us the courage and the strength to reach out to another human being when we need to, or maybe even when we don't need to. Because if we start to make this rhythm in our life of meeting with others, then when the storm does come, we've already had the established rhythm of being with other people. And people are asking you, Father, just I, I ask you to remind us who it is that you think that, that, that might be calling you to, to reach out to. To say to another human being, hey, um, there's a question Maybe it's a, a, a habit, a harmful addiction. Maybe it's a, a darkness that's in your life, and, and you need to go to another human being, someone that you trust, that person that you trust implicitly, and say, hey, I need you to ask me every month, every week, or whatever it is, whatever it takes, I need you to ask me how I'm doing with that because I can so easily get away from it and not be connected to other people because... It's just how my pride works. Father, I ask you to, to whisper the names of 
those people into our ears, to help us see who it is that we need to reach out to. I need to, to, to ask, is there any area of our life where we've made it about us, where we've made it individualistic, where we've said, my faith, no, this part of my faith is for me and for me only. This darkness is for me and for me only. I'll, I'll feel, figure this out alone. Father, help us to open that door. Help us to open that door and share it with another human being. Share our sins, share our joy, share our fears with each other. And thus fulfill what it means to be the church. Because when we're doing that with each other, you know, your word tells us that, that um, the world will know our love for our love for each other. We'll be better equipped then to open our doors and now go out to a world that's broken, a world that, that needs your grace and your peace. And we'll be people who are healed, people who are reconciled with you, people who are reconciled with each other. And then we can be the church. We can be the hands and the feet of the church, the hands and the feet of Jesus to a world that just needs the, the experience of your love. Father, convict us and humble us. Help us to go to those friends that we know. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ.